Welcome to the Growing Your Financial Business, The Woman's Way podcast. I'm Robin Crane, and I was a financial advisor for over a decade. But before that, I was a singer-songwriter. And now, even as a mom of three with a teenager, toddler, and a baby, I run a seven-figure business helping women in financial services grow their businesses and make a bigger impact. In this podcast, I'll bring you financial advisors, industry influencers, and highly successful entrepreneurs to give you innovative strategies designed for women. So get ready to learn how to get in front of the right people, get more ideal clients, and be able to grow your ideal business so you can live your ideal life. Welcome to Growing Your Financial Business, The Woman's Way. I'm here with Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, who is a wealth psychology expert and author of five books, including her latest book called Breaking Money Silence. And we're here to talk about how to get paid what you're worth. So welcome to the show, Kathleen. Thank you, Robin. I'm super excited to be here. And I love talking about this topic. Yeah, I think a lot of women, I mean, my whole mission is to increase the footprint of women in the industry. And I know before we started recording, we talked about the the gen, you know, the gap with with how people are getting paid and women in the industry specifically. And what are your you know biggest takeaways in regards to just right off the bat, as far as how do they get paid what they're worth? What's so important about that? Well, it's important because we deserve to be paid an equal wage to any other of our male counterparts. Um, but really, I think the dilemma a lot for women is that it's there's this money talk taboo, and it's a little bit more complicated for women than it is for men. And so often that can get in the way of us asking for uh, and ultimately receiving our worth, whether that is monetary worth, our benefits. Um, it, can mean, it can mean a variety of things to a variety of people. Um, but as women, we really need to get there. And I, I think we're close. We're just not there yet. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. And I think most of the women listening, you know, think of whether they're working for Edward Jones or, or Merrill Lynch or LPL or something like that. They still feel like they own their book of business, right? Like they have a financial business. They're trying to grow it. And, and as much as you're not getting a typical wage, like we would say, like the, sorry, that's real life. That's the dog, um, but getting uh, a wage, there's still this inequality, which is what I am like really, really an advocate for, like creating that equality with women so they stay in the industry and so we can have a bigger footprint. So let's go into some of these strategies and talk a little about the, the money silence that I know you talk a lot about with your book. Sure. Money silence actually is that uncomfortable feeling that many of us get when talking about finances. But if you're out there and you're a financial advisor, you're probably thinking, I talk about money all day. Well, I'm not talking about the dollars and cents. I'm talking more about the emotional aspects of talking about money or engaging in certain financial conversations that could be uncomfortable with you, whether that's with a client, whether that's with a partner, a kid of yours, a boss. And so money silence is really that money talk taboo. And I believe each and every one of us needs to do our part in order to break that money talk taboo and that female financial advisors or planners are really uniquely positioned to be able to help uh, their clients do this and also help themselves. Right. And it kind of starts with themselves, right? Because if you're going to tell someone, hey, you need to be open and you need to be able to talk about money yep. with your spouse and it doesn't have to be that hard and you need to know the numbers. Um, but then when it comes to making that offer and what when they say, well, what, what are your fees? And you, you you get all tense and you don't want to talk about it and it feels weird and you start like saying, oh, well, uh, let me let me get into that. And there's all this this nervous feeling around it. Then now you're not being the, the example and you're having the same issue that they're having. So let's talk a little bit about the how, like how do they get paid what they're worth? How do they do that in a way where 
They don't feel uncomfortable talking about their worth and what they should get paid. And it doesn't have to be an apology like, oh yeah, my fee is one and a quarter percent or, or I charge $5,000 for a plan where I feel like a lot of women are, are almost apologizing for it as if it's uh, maybe I shouldn't get paid that or, or sorry to, to hurt you that I'm going to off, you know, offer you something at such a high fee. How do you deal with that? Well, there's a couple of different steps and it's kind of a journey. Um, the first part is the apologizing is more of a women thing than a man thing in general. And so part of what that is, is our just our discomfort talking about money and asking for our fee. And when you're a financial advisor, often what you are charging for is you as a person and your expertise. And so I find it a little bit hard for people to charge for a service versus a product. Sometimes that's harder. But I always believe that the first step is really looking at your psychology around your uh, what you're worth, your psycholo psychology around your fee, and being able to understand when I do apologize or when I do feel like I am not being as articulate or feel kind of uncomfortable inside, even though I have a brave outward looking face, that what that is, is there may be a disconnect between what you learned growing up around asking for money and what you're experiencing. And what I found in my own life is that as you start to understand your psychology a little bit more, you become more comfortable pulling on your strengths and realizing that you may have to work through some stuff. So that first piece, I know that's a little touchy-feely, but I am a recovered therapist. Um, <laughs> the first piece is really doing an exercise around what's my negotiation mindset? What are my strengths? What are my challenges? And then how do I push through those challenges? Okay. So I have so many questions, but I'll, I'll try to keep it to one at a time. That's okay. I love questions. So, so first, how did you come to this and why are you so passionate about helping people? Cause, cause wealth psychology expert is definitely not a title that I typically hear thrown around. Like this is not, Oh yeah. Like I want to be a wealth psychology expert. I have to look <laughs> at my paper to make sure I'm getting it right. So how did you get to that? And, and, and I know you're extremely passionate what you do and helping people with this. So how did you get to that? And then just so I don't forget, I kind of want to go through that whole thing. Like maybe like psychology me, right? Like, yeah, sure. Be like how we do this on me so we can, I can be a Guinea pig an example here. No, absolutely. So it's great questions. The first has to do with, um, you know, how I got here and why I'm passionate. The short of it is that uh, I had been a therapist for 15 years, but prior to being a therapist, I worked in banking and finance, and I actually was an FDIC bank examiner. So already, that's not your normal career path, right? So mm -hmm. what ended up happening for me is when I started my own business, KBK Wealth Connection, it was after being in banking and finance, after being a therapist for 15 years. And I said, I want to do something that blends the two worlds. And that's where I discovered money psychology and a behavioral finance and started to study that. The other thing that happened was very personal, Robin. I, around that time, actually, my husband and I were putting on an addition on our home. And, you know, we thought it was this great thing. We hired this contractor and soon found out that he had robbed us of a lot of money and abandoned the property. So what ended up happening with that is I realized, wow, I could be an FDIC bank examiner. I could be really good at money. I could think I'm in this great marriage, which in general I was, but I didn't know how to talk about money at all. And I got ripped off. So that's where I discovered money psychology. The next step, and I'm trying to keep it short, but the next step was then I realized, wait a second, when I started to do my own work around what my automatic thoughts and beliefs about money, 
being a couple, being a, a female breadwinner, what they were, I realized that I was your classic under earner. So I was just like the people I work with, smart, intelligent, motivated, but ended up, it was really hard for me. And I felt really guilty when I got paid a lot and it was really hard to ask for a fair wage. So I ended up volunteering 20 hours out of the week and I was starting a new business. Now that doesn't work, Robin, right? That does <laughs> not work. You're a business growth expert. That's like yeah. a recipe for disaster. Absolutely. And so I had to look at my own mindset and figure out what that was about. And so I used psychology um, because that was the tool that I knew the most and really looked at what are those money messages that I'm sending to myself that aren't going to help me run a profitable business. I pushed through and, um, you know, that was a long time ago and I've been financially successful and I think it's a journey. You're always working at it, but I had to learn to ask for what I was worth. And the bonus is that when you do, you actually feel much better about yourself. You have a better business and you're just clearer about your value. And that feels good. Okay. Awesome. So did I get this right? So first you were employed, right? You had FDIC banking type of yeah, uh, government. So you don't yeah. have to talk about money stuff. at all. Yeah. Okay. okay. Then you were a therapist, but did you have your own business as a therapist? Or were I you did. Working? I had my own business, okay. but the beauty of being a clinical therapist is that they're all underpaid. So I right. didn't have to feel that uncomfortable. Yeah. So then you were underpaid as a therapist and then you decided to marry the two and now you have a business again. Yep. Right? I had it since 2006, KBK Wealth Connection. Okay. But at first you were undervaluing yourself and getting underpaid and all that. And then you had to like go through all this to, to make that shift and then started to value your worth. So what exactly did, did you do for yourself? And then, yeah, what, what did you do specifically that the listeners can say, okay, because I... It reminds me of my money types. I actually have this money, these money types. And one of them is called over generous Olivia and you being like, you know, <laughs> volunteering for 20 hours a week when you have your business and you're trying to, you know, make it. And, and a lot of people can use the excuse, oh, well, maybe that'll help me get clients. But then they yeah. feel really bad. Like last thing I want to do is be on the board of some, you know, some type of committee and then start to try to get clients from it. Cause that's going to be really horrible. Like, I don't want to be that guy or that girl. I don't want to be that person. So how did you transition that? And, and what did you do to get you to that place. Cause I'm sure your listeners are at the edge of their seat going like, I know I need to do that. I'm very over generous as well, but how? So the first thing I did is I quit cold Turkey. I stopped volunteering and I mm -hmm. said no to everything, which was really hard. I had just won a volunteer of the year award. I mean, I got a lot of kudos. Talk about worth. Yeah. I got a lot of kudos for this and I was good at it, but I just decided I can't do the, maybe I got to do no. So I just let my boards, you know, run out plural. And then I resigned and I made a commitment that every time someone asked me to be on a committee, a board, whatever, I said, I'm not volunteering for the next year. And that was hard, but I did it. Mm -hmm. The second thing is I hired someone to coach me so I could understand why I was so financially literate yet an under earner. Like that didn't make sense to me. Like I, you know, banking and finance, I had that background. So I was financially literate, but what was it about success? And so I really had to look at less about the under earning and more about my success mindset. There was something in my family history about being a woman that was successful was something that they didn't say this directly. It was never directly said to me, but the underlying message was don't get too full of yourself. So it becomes very hard to then charge 
get paid what you're worth, ask for what you're worth, if you are fearing unconsciously that you're going to get full of yourself. So I hired. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but I'm. Oh, go ahead. I'm excited about this. So did you, when you got a coach to help you with that, did you uncover like any specific situation where you're like, I even though it wasn't fully said, but where you had a moment or a memory where you're like, I think from that memory, I got the, my takeaway was that if I make money, if I'm successful, I am full of myself, which also means talking to the overgenerous Olivia means like, if I'm full of myself, I'm not really paying attention or caring as much about other people. And like, was there a moment in time that you realized that or that you like have a memory of that? Yeah. So you can do a a lot of different exercises in money psychology. One was this first money memory. You know, they ask you, what's the first memory, many memory you had and how did it impact you? And I go right back to being like seven years old. I'm standing in front of my mother. Um, I had just been asked, this is the good old days where it was safe, right? To go get some milk. She gave me a buck or whatever. I go to get the milk. I come back and I didn't give her change because I was going to pocket it. I always loved <laughs> coins and my cash register. <laughs> and 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 so I really got chastised for that. And so it isn't that she was doing anything wrong. But in that moment, I learned the love of money and coins and the cash register wasn't really something that was going to be celebrated in my family. Mm-hmm. And it could have happened with my dad. It just happened to with my mom. And so, you know, you might think, oh, that she's overanalyzing that, but it's like a series of these things. In addition, I was a, you know, I'm a female and I think there's so many mixed messages about what it means to be a profitable female. You know, on one hand, we're all told that we should be successful, but then when we are, there's this double-edged sword, there's this judgment. Um, There's another instance when I actually was a therapist, and this is kind of in some ways comical. uh, One of my clients actually accused me of being greedy because I had raised my fee. Every year I raised my fee by $5, which most therapists didn't do, but at least I had some financial literacy and understood about inflation. And I was called greedy. And so all these little things add up to get into our mindsets. Um, And often in the work that I do, It isn't some big tragic memory. It's often these little things that really chip away at our ability to ask for the the value that we deserve and to actually then get paid it. Does that answer your question? I know there's a lot there, but I love it. I was just, it was hard for me not to, I'm trying to like pay attention to every word, but I was also thinking about what's my, because I was going to say kind of psychology me, like tell me like, if I was a listener right now and I was saying, okay, well, I don't know how to do that, Kathleen. Like, yeah. how do I do that? How do I do that? Walk me through and let's just, I'll be an example, but it's, yeah. I was i was trying to think of my early memory of money and I couldn't really think of it. Well, but. let's do it specifically around negotiating, right? Or yeah, asking, let's or let's do the get paid. Asking, I'm yeah. nervous. And this is That's- like, you know, it, people <laughs> say, oh, Robin, you don't have to ever step outside your comfort zone. I'm like, yeah, I make, I'm, I'm afraid of looking stupid. So it happens all the time. Well, there are no nervous. right or wrong answers. That's the oh, beauty yes, of this. Yes. Excellent. An a plus it is. So all I want you to do is just finish the sentence with whatever comes to mind. And any of the listeners out there, we're not judging. This is just Robin's money mindset in the very, very moment. It could change tomorrow. It could change in a second. Okay. So um, just complete the sentence. So uh, talking about money with loved ones is normal. Talking to my clients about money is awesome. (laughs) Not your typical person. (laughs) That's okay. Asking, asking for a raise is 
I would say it differently asking like, or raising your prices. Cause I've never asked, I never had a real job, but, um, well, you like have, you're just an entrepreneur. Asking for more money. Asking yeah. For asking money. for more money. Um, uncomfortable. Okay. My biggest fear financially is. Oh, my biggest fear financially. Hmm. Biggest fear financially is I would say I'll, I'll make the wrong decision and lose, lose money. Okay. If I don't get paid, I feel. Undervalued, inadequate. Okay. And my parents, my parents taught me asking for money was awkward. Okay. So how did you go from awkward (laughs) to awesome? I mean, just to sum it up. So I've done a lot of personal growth, Kathleen, and I've worked on myself for a long time. Yeah. So I have, I mean, so my, uh, another one of my five money types is cheap chip and cheap chip does not like to spend money and is very much scarcity minded. And so that's my number one money type is I'm a cheap chip. And definitely with my parents, you know, they're, my dad had a, had a very good engineer job, you know, making six figures, very, very good saver. My mom was, uh, when she first started working, I was eight years old. So she wasn't even working. And then she got, um, she was a pre-kindergarten teacher, you know, making the most she ever made was $17,000 a year. And it was like, my dad's money was their money. And my mom's money was her money. And he was happy because then they can kind of like, she would spend it on shoes and things and it was fine. But very much like, I remember going to we used to go like to Chinese food every Friday and it would be like, don't like mom, dad, dad, can I order a soda? And and it wasn't don't order a soda because it's not good for you. It was, it doesn't make no, no, you can't have a soda. You can have that at home because my dad didn't think it made sense to pay a dollar for a soda when you can get a whole six pack for two bucks or three bucks or whatever it was back then. Right. So I think for sure my dad, you know, cheap chip, my mom even is, you know, somewhat of a, of a cheap chip, but I definitely have a lot of scarcity back there, but, and I was very afraid of sales, very afraid for asking for money, but I have made the shift that now when I I make good money and my book, actually my latest book is called make more money, help more people. So I totally believe that when I make money, I'm able to make a bigger impact. And so I've scrambled all that stuff. So So you, how I grew up is very different and how I felt is very different than how I've created those feelings now because of the experiences I've had with I get paid now and I provide more value. You know, the way, like if the but, more but money- But see, here we go. Value. So so you did, so you've, all your work shows. So part of what, um, looking at your negotiation mindset and your money mindset is doing exactly what you did, which you start, like, say we start with the awkward conversation mm-hmm. and then it moves to the awesome. Well, how did it move to awesome? You know, obviously this is a longer process, but basically what you said is, I changed my definition of sales mm-hmm. to be service or helping or whatever it is. And so often people need to change their definitions of things or look at it slightly differently because how we were raised, it's not right, wrong. It's just the way we were raised. And, and some of those messages are really great. I'm sure you got great saving skills from these, Mm -hmm. these chips, these cheap chips. Yeah. Um, <laughs> although I see, I was going to say we are like, you know, very, we're twins, but very different ages separated at birth because <laughs> my parents are very similar engineer, teacher, really? whole oh, deal. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's separating and letting go of the messages that no longer work 
and then really reinforcing the messages that that are. And for me, um, when I think of sales, I think I I think of the impact I'm going to have and the type of work that I do. Very similar to helping, but if I have a greater impact, if I am able to stand on a bigger stage, if I'm able to make more money, um, I can have a greater impact and and serve you know volunteer like I used to do because I can afford to volunteer as opposed to I'm volunteering to avoid asking for money. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's you know kind of a reframe on the way that you think and the meaning of things. And and I actually think that's huge. And one of the shortcuts I help my clients with also is sometimes it's hard to change those beliefs. And obviously, it's not even yeah. sometimes like it is hard to change those beliefs, or that's not a very good belief to have. But like it could be hard to change those beliefs. And I struggled with shifting those beliefs. I mean, I remember when um, even I went to a Tony Robbins event and I had to, you know, beg, borrow and steal to get there to like basically use credit card money. I was a financial advisor just starting. I was struggling and I went there anyway because I thought it would benefit me in some way. But I got there and I only, you know, invested 500 bucks at the time to this virtual event. And now virtual is no big deal. But back then it was <laughs> kind of weird that Tony was just on a screen. But I did it because it was only going to cost me 500 bucks versus going to pay like 800 bucks if I went to LA and saw him in person. So I'm like, I'm saving the money. Right. Um, and then I went there and it was great, but like I had my arms crossed because then he had like flyers on the chair and I was just frustrated with them. He's trying to sell me already. I just bought something, you know, and I had really, really strong, like emotions, like Mm -hmm. mad, like anger about feeling like someone's trying to sell me. And I remember like feeling like, okay, as, as he was talking and I really felt like I knew his heart and I understood he was here to help people. I'm like, you know, by the end, I was like opening my arms up and going, wow, like this is transformational. And in fact, I ended up like at the end of this event, dropping $10,000. I did. Yep, that's the beauty of Tony Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. It was all worth it. Like to yep. find a way, because I was like, I understood that he was there to serve. And yes, he didn't want my money, but yes, he, he believed so strongly that if I worked with him, even though he's talking to thousands of people, like to me, he's talking to me. Like if I worked with him, I would have transformation in my life. Like I, I had to take that step. And that was a huge step for me, extremely scary. But that was the beginning of me starting to see that, wow, actually I bought and I have a better life because of it. Even though I didn't have a month, have the money, I found a way and that stretched me to get to where I am because of it. And it just kept reinforcing it. And the more, you know, personal growth and business growth that I did having to stretch and invest in myself when I didn't have the money, which was a huge thing was super scary, especially as a cheap chip, but like investing in myself and then seeing like myself change when you grow, your business will grow. Right. So I kept growing, my business would grow. And then I learned that like when someone buys for me, just like when I bought from Tony Rock, Robbins, their life has changed. Even if they don't have the money, I don't feel bad anymore when someone has to go on a credit card to work with me. I'm actually like, so, so excited and feel so like that they're so lucky that they can use yeah. someone else's money to be able to change their life and invest in themselves. And I think bringing this back to advisors and how they're working with clients, like, I think that money conversation, like you said, it's, it's, there's this money silence. Like there's certain things that maybe you're comfortable with now that you're licensed, mm-hmm. now that you have, you know, you have the systems and you know, if I just follow the systems, like I can say those things. Right. Um, but there are these unconscious or conscious beliefs that you have where you might feel comfortable asking for the sale, asking for the money. And maybe you end up working with someone or meeting with someone five times, 10 hours, six weeks before you even say, here's the next step because you're being an overgenerous Olivia, or you're just trying to serve when it's not serving them. Like people want leaders. They want you to tell them what to do next. Like they want the next step. And like, you got to get over that. And I don't want to say it in a mean way, but like you, your growth, I'm talking to the audience now, but yeah, your growth, <laughs> 
in like being able to understand, like you have this, this, there's certain fears around money that if you can get past that, like you said, Kathleen, give them permission to, to also have those conversations with their families and with their partner and with their kids. Like it's such a beautiful thing. And one last thing I'll say before I pass it back on to you is that I found it, even though I was really into Tony Robbins, very difficult to jump up and down and change my beliefs around money, around sales, around business, around any, all those limiting, even feeling I'm stupid. I had a very, very strong belief. I'm stupid. I'm not good enough. Um, and jumping up and down was great. But then at the end of the three, four days, I was back to where I started like, oh, I'm not good enough. I, I'm not smart enough. Gosh, darn it. People don't like me. Yeah. And what, what got me to be able to get past that more than trying to shift my mindset. And this is kind of maybe outside the psychology realm, but was doing the behavior. And you said, behavioral. No, I'm going to totally agree with you because I'm a behavioral change specialist. Oh, you got to put it into action. Yeah. So you can't just change behavior. your thought. You got to do it. Okay. Perfect. Do yeah, it so and be uncomfortable. Like I got a sales system from a coach, just like you, I worked with a coach. I could, couldn't afford him, but I found a way. And I had a sales system that even though I didn't have the belief that I was good enough, even though I didn't, I didn't have the belief that I should be charging that money or I should be charging that much, even though I didn't have the belief that like I was worth it. I followed his system step-by-step step and was just kept focusing on serving my client, not trying to sell them. And the mm-hmm. transformational aspect eventually, because that system was good, I was able to get paid what I was worth. And then I kept increasing my prices and, and someone, someone's going to bitch about it. Like, I don't care, but like the, my focus is a transformation. Sorry, go ahead. That's okay. Well, I (laughs) I think what's important, you just hit something that's really important is, you know, depending on what firm you work for, if you have the freedom to do this uh, in terms of, uh, you know, setting your own fees or, you know, having some flexibility within that. I think we also need to keep in mind that the goal isn't to have every client say yes and be satisfied and a great fit. That is unrealistic. And I know in this field, there's a lot about hundred percent closing rate and, you know, all that stuff. But when it comes to actually getting paid, it's really important to know that if you're priced right for your ideal client, you should get rejected at least 20% of the time because that means you're pushing it. So 80%, and you know, I'm not going to argue close like rate. A crazy close rate. That's ridiculous. Right. right. But, but I'm not, you know, what I'm saying is that if you are just going for the low-hanging fruit, you're probably just going to stay. It, it's very similar in philosophy to how advisors might look at their book of business every couple of years and say, oh, I got to lose the bottom 20%. Mm-hmm. So it's a very similar thing. It's really thinking about what value do I provide? Is it all priced in there? And I know not everybody has this flexibility, but I do work with a lot of advisors who are in RIAs and do have some flexibility. It's really putting together a package that is authentic to you, that provides the value, adding the systems that you're talking about, and then you know, practicing and, and getting confident with, yeah, I am worth X amount. This financial plan is worth X amount. You know, this is how we're going to do it. And I find that one of the things I really like about younger advisors is they're being more creative around it. There's more services. There's more value add. It's not just the traditional financial planning. And I think that's what people are looking for. I love it. I love it. And I mean, when it comes down to it, it's all about the value you provide. Like I always tell my clients, if they can price it out, or even if they can't, like looking at like some commission or whatever, if they're going to get 
$20,000 from a life insurance commission and they have some guilt around that. Like I would think of how is, it's not about the time you spend, it's the value you provide. So how is, are you able to provide five to 10 times what someone would pay and just be congruent with that and make sure you keep asking that question. How can I provide more value? How can I provide more value? How can I provide more yeah, value? Yeah, it's not and time for money because that'll that'll make you an under earner. Exactly. Yeah. And, and women are great at that. Like yeah. great at providing that. That's not the issue. It's just making sure you get paid, get paid what you're worth as you should. Awesome. This has been amazing. I feel like we can continue, continue, continue <laughs> on, on, on more and more segments, but tell them where to get the book, tell them how to find you. And, sure. um, we'll, we'll keep, you know, dangle the carrot for maybe bringing you back another time to go deeper and deeper. I would love that. So thank you. The book is called breaking money silence. There's a podcast by the same name. You can find them at breakingmoneysilence.com. And also I have an online course called breaking money silence on negotiating. And you just go to breakingmoneysilence.com backslash negotiating. And you can check that out. So thank you, Robin, for having me. It's been really an inspiring conversation. I'm all pumped up now. I know I'm pumped. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>